great job. I love seeing the kids up here, and uh, they just do a fantastic job. As we turn to Mark chapter 7, and today is indeed Mother's Day, and there are two undeniable truths about Mother's Day. First of all, there's undeniable truth that moms love their kids. Would that be right, moms? Recognize another one is that kids need their moms. I'm not going to ask if you think that or you do. You need your moms. Moms love. We think about how moms love, that moms give and give and give and give for the good of their kids. That moms go through pregnant pain, stay up sleepless nights whenever they're babies. They feed them, clothe them, nurture them, potty train them, shop, cook, do laundry, help with homework, make sure school supplies are bought and in backpacks. They make sure that sleepless nights... Um, as the kids grow older, the sleepless nights of the newborns are oftentimes replaced with sleepless nights of worrying about and praying for and sometimes weeping for teens and young adults of children. As we think about the love of a mom that even in the midst of the hurts that moms often experience at the hands of their kids, they still love them. Moms love their kids and kids need their moms. In our passage this morning, we see a mom who's in desperate need. We see a mom who loves her daughter coming to Jesus, uh, and a daughter who needs her mom to be pleading on her behalf. And in this passage, we see a desperate mother crying out to Jesus for help, because in our passage, the daughter is in a situation the mom can't do anything about, nobody can do anything about, the only one who can change things is Jesus, and Jesus is willing and this morning, as we look at our passage, we're going to see in this, we're going to see the love of Jesus. We're going to see his willingness to hear us when we're desperate. And we're also going to see the power of Jesus to help us. We're going to recognize that Jesus cares about us, cares about our de- desperate situations, and is willing to help. But let's look at our text together. Our text is in Mark chapter 7, verse 24. It begins in 24 through 30, and it says this, And from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a synchrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. And he said, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go. You may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. As we see this situation, this desperate mom, a daughter in a very difficult situation, we see Jesus willing to help. I've titled this morning's message, The Crumbs for the Dogs. As we think about these crumbs for the dogs, what we recognize is the big picture is that Jesus gives crumbs to dogs. And the passage here, we're going to understand this in a fuller way, but when our passage begins, we learn that Jesus arises and he goes to this region. And it talks about this region. And in the region, I've got a map, and maps are always hard to see on the screen, but on the north part of that map, there is a region that says there's a red box. And above that, that's outside of Israel. Jesus traveled up there. And that is a reason that's outside the boundaries of Israel, and it is a Gentile area. 
It is the place that the Jews would not typically go. Certainly a Jewish rabbi wouldn't typically travel up in that area. But Jesus has gone up in this area, and we're not told why. We're not told why he wanted to, but our text gives us a little bit of a clue. It says, and he entered the house, this is verse 24, he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. So it could be that Jesus went up here because he wanted to be alone. It could be that he wanted to be alone with his disciples to do some teaching. We see oftentimes in the New Testament that Jesus would pull his disciples uh, to the side and he would teach them by, by themselves. Other times we see Jesus going up on the mountain to pray. But, but for whatever reason, the idea was that Jesus was going and where he was in this house, he didn't want people to, be, to know what was going on. And so we see that unfolding, and, and in this, though, what I want us to see is Jesus' willingness to help is that he's crossing all kinds of boundaries. The first one we see is in our map, we see that, that Jesus goes beyond these expected boundaries. The first boundary is a geographic boundary. Okay, Jesus often traveled outside of Israel. Uh, next week, we're going to see him travel to the other side of the, of the Jordan River, and uh, he's going to go to this 10-city region. It, again, was mostly made up of, of, of Gentiles, unbelievers. And so Jesus is willing to cross these geographic boundaries uh, for a variety of purposes. But we also see in this that Jesus, in this context, there's a woman who comes to him. And this woman is a Gentile, and she comes to Jesus begging for help, and Jesus engages with her. And what we see is that, in, is that Jesus also crosses the an expected or unexpected gender, gender boundary, that, that Jesus is a rabbi, and in that culture, that, that men and women were, were very separate, that women were thought of as lower-class citizens. Uh, they were, the Jews would often pray that they were thanked God that they weren't the Jewish men would pray and thank God they weren't born a woman. Right? And so women, they, they were not on, the, uh, on a plane as being equal at all in that society. And yet Jesus shows up, and he begins to change all that. We see Jesus, and especially in the book of Mark and the book of Luke particularly, that we see Jesus engaging women at a variety of levels that wasn't normal for that culture. And we see Jesus raising the status of women, actually raising it to God's original design which is what Jesus has come to do. He's come to bring restoration. And even when he begins to engage with these women in the culture, we see him treating them as fellow image bearers. When God created men and women all the way back in Genesis, he created men and women with, with equal, equal, equally created in his image, equal value. He gives them different roles. Men and women have different roles. Adam was to take care of the garden. Eve was to be a help. And we see those different roles being expressed in families and in the church. But the equality of men and women is undeniable in the Scriptures. And Jesus crosses the boundary to help us to learn that. Well, Jesus also crossed a boundary. He crossed an ethnic boundary. An ethnic boundary in going to Gentiles. He would go to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles in that culture were considered to be dogs. The Jews would call the Gentiles dogs because they believed that they were unclean and that they were unworthy of God's favor. That there's ethnic division because the Jews saw themselves as God's chosen people, which they were, but they allowed that to cause them to have a disdain for others. But Jesus did not let this ethnic hatred keep him from having a conversation with a desperate Gentile woman. Jesus isn't like the other teachers. 
He's come as someone radically different. And so as we see Jesus come, the suffering of this daughter, the, we see things come together. We see the suffering girl, and we see the care of a mother, and then we see the compassion of Jesus all come together in this picture. And Jesus was willing to cross all of these boundaries to meet these needs. And, but these boundaries really actually are limited in a, and compared to another boundary that Jesus crossed. Because he not only crossed geographic boundaries to go to this northern region, not only a gender boundary to talk to this woman, not only an ethnic boundary to talk to a Gentile, but we see that the Son of God has crossed cosmic boundaries to come to us. That we see the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, He has crossed every boundary. And the boundary between the Creator and the creation, He has bridged that by coming and taking on flesh. That Jesus has done that for us, certainly to do, accomplish the miracles that He accomplished in the New Testament, but on a greater deal that Jesus came and crossed all these boundaries to come and to rescue us to rescue us from the sin and the destruction and the hell that we deserve because of our sin. And Jesus, in His love and compassion, crosses boundaries for our good. We begin to realize that God's love knows no boundaries. That nobody is too far from Him. That He is drawn near and He continues to draw near. And for all of those who will call upon the name of the Lord, they too can be with Him. And we see the beauty of, uh, of, and the character of God portrayed in this picture of, this, of Jesus crossing these boundaries to come to this woman. Well, as we look back in our passage, we see Jesus, he didn't want to be found out. He had traveled up this area, didn't want to be found out, but it didn't last long. Because verse 25 says, but immediately... Okay, right away, Jesus is like, finally, in, in my mind, that Jesus is in this house, sits down, probably with his disciples, and they take a sigh, it's like, <sighs> and then somebody's at the feet, somebody shows up, and right away, immediately, there's a woman, and it describes her daughter with an unclean spirit, came and fell down at his feet. It goes on, it says in verse 26, she's begging him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So as Jesus, finally, he's able to sit down. He sits down with his disciples and he wants to be alone. And in comes this woman. And she's falling down and he, she's at his feet. And you can just almost hear the desperation in her voice, maybe weeping and crying out to Jesus. She knows he can help. And she's in this desperate situation and come and help my daughter. All over his feet. And in this, we see Jesus engaging her, and we're gonna, we read the rest of the story so we know how it ends. But what we learn in this about Jesus is not only is he willing to go beyond expected boundaries, we also see that Jesus keeps the door open to our needs. You know, think about what is going on in this, that Jesus wants to be alone. He doesn't want to be found out. But now this woman has shown up. She has shown up, and it helps us to understand Jesus' character, that we begin to understand that Jesus doesn't keep office hours, that Jesus doesn't have an, an open and closed sign on his front door, that, that, that Jesus' door to us is always open. He is always open. He is always willing to hear us. He is always willing to help us. And as we think about this spirit of Jesus and finally not want anybody to bother him, woman comes in all over his feet begging for help 
Jesus gives it to her. And I think about how that is often in contrast to what our spirit oftentimes is. When we think about time that we want to be alone, we don't want others to bother us, we want a little bit of peace and quiet. Does anybody else ever desire that? Okay, we recognize that we, we're tired, we've had a long week, lots has been, have been going on, and a door knocks, phone rings, you get a text, and somebody needs help. And when I think about what is oftentimes our attitude towards that, it, do, do we, want to, we want to close the door and say, you know, come back later, set the clock, be back in an hour, or are we willing to reflect the character of Jesus and, and help people in their time of need? I often wonder how many ministry opportunities we miss because we close the doors when we're tired. Because we've had long days. Because we want a few minutes of peace and quiet. And because we have our own office hours, we miss the opportunity to help others. As we reflect on this love of Jesus and realizing this isn't easy. It's not easy to, to, to be on call. It's not easy to be able to be willing to help others whenever they have a need. It's, it's difficult. And there's certainly some wisdom that we need to apply in all of this. But I think the culture that we live in, we are much more willing to close the door for, quote, our own sanity than we are to leave it open and realize let's get the rest when we can. Because whenever we see the opportunity for us to help others, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that should motivate us to love others. That he has loved us in our need. He has loved us in our desperate need. He continues to hear us whenever we cry out to him, when we hear him, that we would give of ourselves to help others. Rather than closing the door, leaving the door open, and when, the, when we're exhausted, and rather than thinking, I just need some rest, that we would work to get that rest, but we would also cry out and say, Lord, give me strength. Lord, give me the help that I need to continue to press on. Lord, I am weary, I am tired, and I don't want to help right now. But, but, but I know that, but that you have demonstrated the manner and the character for which I need to be living my life. And that means I need to have the door wide open. And if I am exhausted and wiped out, that I need to appeal to you for strength whenever the needs continue to come. Listen, what is our character? Are we willing to, to allow the door to stay open? I want to encourage you again. I know there's wisdom and, and, and recognizing that you know, when people are having crisis and all that, I know there's wisdom with that. But again, I am convinced that most of us aren't crossing the boundaries of, of being too involved with people. Most of us have our doors a little closed a little more often than we need to. And what is the result? I mean, we think about even the context here. Jesus leaves the door open, and, and what happens? As Jesus leaves the door open, a dog wanders into the house and is all over his feet and wants something to eat. When you realize that's the imagery we get, Jesus wants to sit down, and now a dog has come in, and it's all over his feet begging, help my daughter, help my daughter, and it just, she just wants a crumb. And rather than run the dog out, Jesus engages with this woman. Look what he said to her. In verse 27, it's interesting, as this woman is at Jesus' feet, what he says to her, if, if, as we read it just quickly, it almost sounds like Jesus is dismissing her. He says to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. As we hear his response to that, if we just read it, we're like, 
what is he talking about? I mean, this lady is saying, Jesus, my daughter's demon-possessed, cast out the demons. And Jesus is talking about dogs and crumbs and feeding children and all that. It's like, what is that all about? Well, as we would understand the cultural context, Jesus, and this woman understands, she knows what's going on, that in this cultural context, the Jews were the ones who were considered to be the children of God. They're God's chosen people. So the Jews are the children of The woman in this, she's a Gentile, she's the dog. And in this, the bread are the blessings of God. And so God is saying to this woman, basically, you're a Gentile. It is not right for me to give food to you first when it belongs to the children. Okay? And and we understand that. That's not right in this. And, And yet the woman begins to understand some things that that Jesus is saying. Because Jesus is saying to her that there is blessing that goes to the Jewish people. That's where it goes. She also recognized that she's a Gentile, she's an outsider, and that she doesn't deserve those blessings. She understands that, and she doesn't argue with Jesus in that. And yet, she, rather than hearing Jesus tell her to bug off, she sees an opening. Her ears are wide open to what Jesus is saying because she didn't hear Jesus say, because Jesus didn't say, let the children be fed, period. It says, let the children be fed first. She hears that as hope. And then it says, for it is not right to take the children and throw it to the dogs. And one of the things that's interesting here, the way that this word dog is used here in the, in the Greek language, this dog is different than the word that's used for the dogs that were usually used of Gentiles. The word that was usually used of the Gentiles speaks of a dog who is a wild, ravenous dog that runs the streets. That's how the Jews thought of the Gentiles. That's not the word Jesus used. Jesus used the word that would be of a little dog of a pet because what kind of dog is at your feet during dinner it's not the wild ravenous dogs right that's not who is at your feet at dinner it's your pet and what does your pet do while you're eating how many of you have pet dogs what does your pet dog do while you're eating if it's around the kitchen table it's all over your feet right what's it looking for is that dog saying hey give me a seat at the table it would probably like that right what is it looking for? Its nose is on the ground. It hears something hit the ground. And what does that dog do? It's going over to find out what's over there, right? That dog just wants to eat the crumbs. And so this woman hears Jesus say the word, it's not right to, it says, it's not right to feed, let the children be fed first. She hears that. And then she hears about this pet dog. She's not like, well, man, you're rude. She's like, this is a great opportunity for me. This is a wide open opportunity. She hears first and pet dog. And so she actually says, and it basically says, can I have a crumb? Well, can I have a crumb? All I want from you, Jesus, is a crumb. I'm not asking for a seat at the table. I'm not asking to be treated like one of the Jews and to have a full-blown meal. I'm just asking for a crumb because my daughter is sick. My daughter is demon-possessed. She needs help. Will you just give me a crumb? And we see in this the incredible faith of this woman. Rather than argue about being called a dog, which that might happen, right? Who are you calling me a dog? 
right? He, she doesn't argue with that. She doesn't even argue whether it's right or not for kids to be fed first. But what does she do? She humbly recognizes that who she is, and she seizes on the opportunity that's before her. She seizes on the opportunity for a crumb. And the humility of this woman and the faith of this woman is exemplary for us. That we would see her, that she understands that she is not worthy to have a seat at the table. She understands that's not her right. But she understands the goodness of the host. She understands the goodness of the host, that the one who's providing bread for the children, the one who's providing bread for the children, if some crumbs happen to fall to the ground and the dog get it, that's fine. And she sees that about Jesus. And the humility and faith of this woman is in contrast to what we saw just earlier in this chapter and in chapter 6. Because earlier in this chapter, we see the Pharisees. We see the religious leaders, and they are the ones who feel like they have a right to the meal because they're the children. And look back, and let's look back in chapter 7 a little bit to see where they were and what they were thinking of themselves versus the contrast with this woman. It says in chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus is talking about these Pharisees and these scribes, the religious leaders, and he says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and you hold to the traditions of men. As we recognize this, Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, listen, your hearts are far from God. You are hypocrites. You are breaking the law and establishing your own righteousness. And Jesus is all over them because they think they've got it all made. They think that they're at the table and they think they deserve God's blessing. And we would look at this and we would say, man, how could they be so arrogant to think that they deserve all this from God? But before we get too hard on them, it's probably wise for us to look at ourselves. Because we would recognize that these guys are described as, as hypocrites and their humility and pride are, are missing in this. Their humility is missing, their pride. I'm burdened that oftentimes, frankly, that we may be more like the religious leaders than the woman. That, that we oftentimes think that we deserve God's favor. I believe it. We oftentimes say, I, we should have God's favor and God's blessings. Now, we don't say it that way, but our actions and our words often betray us. And those actions and words that betray us are whenever we face trials. Because what do we often say whenever we are in trials? I hear this often. You hear it. What did I do to deserve this? Anybody ever thought that? And we say, what did I do to deserve this? And when I say, what did I do to deserve this? There is an underlying assumption that what I deserve all the time are God's blessings. And I don't deserve to have to deal with these hardships. I deserve to be seated at the table and to be being waited on and to have everything go exactly like I want. We assume that we have this right 
to the blessings of God. And we start to grumble and complain when things are hard for us and realizing that, that we think that we deserve something way more than crumbs. We think that we deserve, we, we think we deserve a full plate, we deserve all of God's attention, and we deserve everything to always go well for us. And when it doesn't, we complain. We complain to God. God, why are you letting this happen to me? God, why is this going? Because undergirding this is a faulty theology that we deserve blessings from God. Listen, we forget that everything we have this side of hell is a result of a gracious God. The breaths that you and I have taken this morning, have every one, of them been, every one has been a gift of God. The fact that you woke up this morning and complained about it raining outside and stuff, the rain that's going to water the grass and keep it green, that's a gift of God. Mothers are a gift of God. Kids are a gift of God. I mean, we look around us and everything that we have has been given to us of God, by God. And we oftentimes believe that rather than seeing ourselves as, as these under-the-table dogs... We see ourselves as somebody who deserves this. We forget that God's the creator and we're not the kings. We have forgotten that we've rebelled against God and that in my sin, the only reason that I continue to have life and breath and anything good is because of God's common grace. His, the things that we experience that are good are gifts of him. Jonathan Edwards described this in the um, famous sermon that he preached called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And the illustration is of a spider hanging by a spider web over a fire. And, and, if, and, the, and the sermon, Sinner in the hand, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, gives us this picture that God's real angry and he can't wait to throw that spider in the fire. But what we see in that is God's grace that why isn't that fire in the, why isn't that spider in the fire yet? Because of God's grace. And God's given us opportunities to see Him, to understand His grace, to turn to Him, to repent and to believe His gospel. And rather than pleading for crumbs, Listen, rather than pleading for crumbs, we oftentimes complain that our steak isn't cooked the way we like it. God, why is this steak rare? I ordered medium. God, I, I didn't want the sirloin. I want the filet. Why aren't I getting what I want? What, you, God, what's up with that? Forgetting that the very fact that him allowing us even to have a crumb is his grace. And we see this in the picture, though. We see this understanding in the heart of this woman, that this woman understands that she doesn't deserve this, she doesn't desire it, but God, she knows the goodness of the Creator. This knows the goodness of Jesus, because if the table's set, their crumb's going to fall. If she's called a pet dog rather than this wild dog, she's under the table, and all she wants is a little crumb, and she's going to be satisfied with it, because it's going to, Jesus is going to meet her need. And He does. And we see this in our passage in 
verse 28, when she says, Yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter, and she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. What we see in this is this woman's faith that she bought into who Jesus was and that Jesus has given her a crumb and healed her daughter. And as we see this, that Jesus gives us undeserved blessings. He gives us undeserved blessing after undeserved blessing after undeserved blessing. This mom came to Jesus with an urgency and a concern and a love for her daughter. This mother loved her daughter And that daughter needed her mom. And those two needs came to the feet of Jesus, and both of them were satisfied. Jesus willing to give of this. As we consider this, that that this woman and the trial that she is in, that Jesus has given her a little bitty crumb, and she is completely satisfied with him. And as we consider this passage and what this passage is teaching us, it reminds us of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It points us to this grand story of all that God is doing because we realize that the God of the universe has gone beyond expected boundaries and entered into our world by taking on flesh to live among us. That Jesus keeps the door open to our needs. He's actually the one who opened the door. Because we were all outsiders before because of our sins. But Jesus has now opened a door. And frankly, he is the door. And if we will believe him and walk through the door, we can have eternal life. That we can receive these undeserved blessings that God offers to us. New life now and forever is a gift to us as a crumb from our God. But the beautiful thing is we begin to understand this, that our God is, 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 is so, so good. Because rather than simply giving us crumbs, Jesus gives us the bread of life. He's the bread of life. He gives us himself. Jesus gives us so much more than crumbs. Ephesians 1.3 says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are no longer under the table, but you have been given a seat at the table. You've been given at the seat at the table, and every spiritual blessing is yours. We aren't left under the table as dogs, that we are adopted as sons and daughters. So as Jesus looks across the table, he doesn't see dogs sitting at his table. He sees beloved sons and daughters, people that have been brought into his family because he loves us. And because he wants to transform us from the inside out. We see Jesus then setting us at the table and setting before us an incredible banquet. An eternity of delight. An eternity of delight and joy that we get to enjoy with him forever and ever. Because we realize at this banquet, when we're seated at his table, he is not only the one who hosts us, he is the guest of honor. He is the one who this is all about. It is all about him, and as a result of that, we get to delight in his presence forever and ever and ever. It's the hope of the gospel. And as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to recognize that all of this that we have, that all that Jesus is blessing us with, from the crumbs to the full table, come by faith. They come by faith. And to be asking ourselves this question, have I received the bread of life? 
Have you humbled yourself to recognize that you are under the table, that you're even outside, and the only way, reason you have access to the Father is because Jesus has opened the door? Do you realize that you're a sinner separated from God who is inviting you to come and to believe this gospel? I would ask you the question, if you have not received this bread of life, I would encourage you to seek forgiveness and cleansing from God. To confess your sins, to say, God, I know that I'm an outsider and I want to, I want to know you. My sin has separated from you and I'm seeking your forgiveness to cleanse me. And the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is what makes all of this possible. I would call you today to call on the name of the Lord, to say, Jesus, I'm yours. I surrender my life to you confess my sins, and I trust you. For those of us who are believers this morning, for this question to be challenging us, this passage to challenge us, to be asking ourselves, are we feasting at the table of Jesus as beloved sons and daughters? Are we walking in step? Are we overflowing with gratitude for what he has done for us? Or have we become so familiar with what God's done for us that we expect Him to keep giving us blessings. And when He doesn't, we complain. Uh, We have a God who loves us. And I would encourage you this morning to, to, to feast, to feast on whatever crumbs He gives you, but realizing the crumbs aren't all He's given us. That He's given us a full plate, a full table of blessings with Him, and that we would overflow with joy because of what He's done for us. Well, as I close this morning and just before our ushers come, I want to encourage you this morning, think about how to respond to this. And so on the bottom of your notes, I believe there's some, some points to challenge you with that maybe today is the day for you to call on Jesus to give you the undeserved blessings that, that, that he desires you to have. Then maybe you'd say that I'm, it's time for me to step outside of the expected boundaries, the boundaries that are limiting me, and to cross those boundaries to go and to serve and to speak the gospel to others, to go beyond these boundaries to love others as Jesus has loved us. Maybe you'd say that I need to keep my door open to the needs of others rather than focusing on my own needs and shutting the door that I will trust the Lord and open the door to help others. Maybe you'd say that I need to take time to reflect and to give thanks to God for the undeserved blessings that He pours out over and over and over and over. He's good. He's a good Savior. He's a good Lord. Are you trusting Him? Well, if our ushers will come, we'll receive our offering. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the grace that You've given to us. Lord, we thank you that you offer us crumbs, but give us a feast. Lord, I pray that you would help us to examine ourselves, get from you, and that we would humbly realize that it is your grace that gives us anything. So God, challenge us this morning. Lord, help us in our desperate situations to cry out to you. But Lord, to realize that we always need you for every blessing. And so God, help us this morning. Help us to move beyond boundaries. Lord, help us to to engage with others in ways that would build them up and encourage them. Help us not to close our doors. And God, as we receive undeserved blessings, that we would give those to others as well. God, thank you for the grace that you've given to us in Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen.